Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. Thanks for being here today. You know, almost 80 weeks ago, we started this podcast with the hope that we could help others see themselves in a new light. And it's been awesome to receive your feedback that these podcasts help you to see and feel and gain energy from the messages that we share. And because you give of your time each week, we want you to know that we feel a responsibility to share messages that are of value to you. And if there were any message we would want you to hear today, it's that you are filled with immense potential, that there is great value inside you and in your future and your efforts to improve. And even if you've fallen short a bit, you can rise to make a significant difference in your life and the lives of your family members and members of your team. And I believe deeply you are where you are in life for a reason, for a purpose, and perhaps one purpose is to rise in your influence, leadership, and ability to live a happier life. So I hope today you hear something that can help you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. And when you're done listening today, if you find some good ideas here, be sure to share this podcast with a friend. It just might help them as well. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about finding the best within you, that you are better than you think. When Joshua was four years old, his mother surely discovered that he had found rubber bands and stretched them across the handles of his clothes dresser and was plucking the strings like a guitar. And for some reason, she felt inspired to help Joshua learn more about music. Now, she wasn't an accomplished musician, but she was a therapist, and her husband Joshua's father was a psychology professor at Indiana University. But Shirley got Joshua a violin that was scaled to his size, and a few months later, he started taking lessons. Well, he seemed to enjoy playing, and in between video games, tennis, and other activities, Joshua kept practicing. His first violin teacher was a music teacher, a widow, at Indiana University. And because Joshua seemed to take to the violin, he went on to more and more accomplished teachers. By the age of 12, he was serious about the violin, thanks to his new instructor, Yosef Gingold. Yosef was a Russian-born classical violinist who played with the NBC Symphony Orchestra and Detroit Symphony Orchestra and taught at the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana. Well, there was something about Yosef that rubbed off on Joshua, and Joshua's talent started to rise. At age 14, he appeared as a soloist with the Philadelphia Orchestra. At age 17, he made his debut in Carnegie Hall with the St. Louis Symphony. And soon, his fame as a violinist spread. He performed a solo part on the soundtrack to the film The Red Violin and served as visiting professor at the Royal Academy of Music in London. Not only is Joshua a unique violinist, he has a unique violin. His violin is the Gibson X Huberman, a Stradivarius made by Antonio Stradivari in 1713. And the violin is rather famous because it was stolen from its previous owner, Bronislaw Huberman. Fifty years later, it reappeared when the thief confessed on his deathbed. It was later sold to Lloyd's of London and eventually found its way to Joshua. Its value is estimated at $19 million. Well, a few years ago, the Washington Post contacted Joshua and proposed that he participate in a rather interesting experiment. 
They wanted to take the most well-known violinist and one of the most valuable and rare violins and see if people could, in fact, recognize the value. So Joshua Bell put on a baseball cap and ordinary clothes and pretended he was a street performer in the Metro Station subway at L'Enfant in Washington, D.C. It was January 12th, and the experiment was taped on hidden camera. Joshua played for 43 minutes, and of the 1,097 people that walked by during his playing, only seven stopped to listen, and only one person recognized him. In total, he collected $32.17 from 27 passerbys, and that included the $20 from the person who recognized him. Interestingly, two days later, Joshua earned $100 per ticket at a concert in Boston playing the same music. Now, when you watch the videotape of his playing in the subway, the woman who recognizes him stands directly in front of him. She's standing perfectly still, almost in reverence as he plays. She stands in the middle of the walkway, never looks to the left or right, and people are coming and going around her, but she is mesmerized by his playing. It's as if nothing else in her day is important. People are rushing by, but she is watching a master at work. The other interesting thing is that she seems rather normal. Black coat, purse, carrying her shopping bag, a person riding in the D.C. subway. But this rather ordinary person, because she can see the beauty and rarity of Josh's playing, participates in the concert of a lifetime And all other 1,096 people missed the value and uniqueness of the occasion. When he ends with one song, the woman says to him, that was fantastic. You know, I saw you play at the Library of Congress. And Joshua thanks her, and she gets to meet one of the best violinists in the world holding an instrument worth millions. Now, I suspect you've heard a version of this experiment before, and there have been other like-kind experiments conducted over the years, and typically the point is that because people are so busy and focused on their day, they miss the beauty and rarity of the moment. But I'd like to offer a different conclusion. What about the woman who recognized Joshua? Think about her. Think about what she gained. Why did she stop and listen? Perhaps she was interested in his music, perhaps the violinist herself, so that when she heard him play, she knew the talent required to create the sounds coming from his Stradivarius. Perhaps she was curious, thoughtful, educated, in need of something to bolster her spirits, or kind. Whatever may be true about her, we aren't sure, but one thing is certain. She knew Joshua Bell, felt something about his music, valued it, and oh, what a day for her. You see, in life, there are so many things around us that are, in fact, better than we think. People are better than we think. Circumstances, our life, kids, job, our own potential often are much better than we think. But for whatever reason, we don't see it. Now, I believe deeply that one of the greatest challenges and accomplishments that we can face and achieve is the ability to open our eyes to who and what we can become that around us are things aligned for our good, that there is light and help, maybe angels and circumstances, that if we could just see and believe, we could rise in remarkable ways. We could stand in front of a son or daughter or team member, like this woman on the subway stood in front of Joshua Bell, 
and see the greatness in them and their talents. So just in case you're tempted to miss the lesson of this podcast today, let me be as clear as I can be. You are better than you think. You are greater of more worth, of more significance on this earth and on your team and in your family than you think. And don't let the temptations of discouragement or doubt or disappointment convince you of anything else. Planted inside you are roots of genuine goodness and talent that are waiting for you to open your eyes and do what you know you can and should do to bring that goodness and talent out in the open for the good of others. And I know you may be facing challenges. Perhaps you're not used as much as you used to be. I understand. Perhaps you've not been as disciplined as you need to be and wonder if you can make your way back to the way of living where you can shine. I know how you feel. Perhaps mistakes or weaknesses dominate your view. You're not alone. Remember, challenges and weaknesses are not in your life to imprison you, but to strengthen you and make you who you're meant to become. And on this day and tomorrow and every day after, you are better than you think. So, this leads us to a really important question. If this is true, that you are better than you think, then how do we, how do you, like the lady in the subway, learn to seize the moment and see the best in others and ourselves? Well, recently, a professional football player was trying out for the Detroit Lions. And he was unsure if a young man whose brother was in prison, whose pedigree was not like the others around him, who had not had many, if any, advantages growing up, could rise and become what he had always dreamed he could become. And when asked what he did to keep his confidence, he said, Every day I read 1 Samuel 17. Now, I thought it was rather unusual that he would read a Bible chapter and to do so each day as his source for remembering that he was better than he thought he was. Then I thought a bit about 1 Samuel 17. In that chapter, two armies are gathered on the battlefield, and one stands on the mountain on one side of the valley, and the other on the mountain on the other side. And one army sends out their champion to the valley center between the mountains. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, in today's measurements, that's over 11 feet tall. Now, some texts say it was four cubits and a span, which would make him eight feet tall. Regardless, he was a giant of a man. He wore a bronze helmet, armor on his chest, and brass on his legs, and in total, his armor weighed 125 pounds. And even if you could strike him with your sword, it would likely do very little damage. Well, the champion calls out for the champion of the other army to come forward, but the king and the army are too afraid. They have no champion this tall or no champion who could possibly compete with what stood before them. Well, having just arrived that morning was a shepherd boy. He was bringing food to his brothers who served in the army. And you know the story. The boy, named David, asks, Why are you afraid of this man? We have the power of God with us. Well, after being told by his brother that he couldn't defeat the giant because he was a small boy, and after convincing the king that he had faced a lion and defeated the lion, and after trying on armor and concluding it was too heavy, David picks up five stones from the river, puts them in his pouch, takes his sling, and walks into the valley to face the giant. The giant mocks and makes fun of him. But David knew he was better than this giant thought and said, 
This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hands, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give your carcass to the fowls of the air. With this, the giant charges forward towards David, and David responds by running towards the giant. David puts his hand in a small bag, pulls out a smooth stone, puts it in the sling, and slang it at the giant. And it hit Goliath in the head, and he fell dead face first to the earth. Now, why did this football player, who needed all the strength and belief that he could muster, read that story every day during training camp? You see, he knew the giant task and unlikely odds ahead of him. He knew he needed the strength to see and believe that he was better than he thought. Now, this leads us to the first step of how to realize the best in ourselves. Well, it's your lens, your view, your prism. A prism is a lens used to separate light into a spectrum of colors. And it's a lens that can allow you to see things you might not otherwise see. This football player needed a daily view into the fact that while he wasn't the biggest or even the most accomplished, he could slay the giant before him. His daily diet was the story of David. And when it comes to you and me, it's interesting that over time, how many excuses enter into our mental daily diet. It's too hard. It isn't fun. It takes time. It takes too much energy. I don't know how or whatever the excuse is that we use. And some of you listening are building a business. And it's interesting to me that the most popular excuse I hear from people in business as to why they can't, is there's something wrong with someone else on your team. It may be the leader, they don't listen. Or it may be a team member, they don't do what they say. Or my team is unreliable, and so forth. And over time, it becomes more of a habit to talk than to walk. And I think it was Seneca who said, it's not because things are difficult that we dare not venture. It's because we dare not venture that things are difficult. In other words, we get comfortable in our excuse-making, and we make in our own mind giants that seem impossible to overcome, when in fact, they're not that tall or big or insurmountable. It's our thinking that has made them so. Next, to come to find the best inside of you requires calculated risks. You know, Bill grew up in Chicago, attended Gage Park High School, and loved to play baseball. So much so that he earned a scholarship to DePaul University. He played third base in his hopes and dreams that he would play professionally. But the chances of a good player from a small school making it in the pros were not good. So Bill tried a number of other things. He was in the Air Force. He earned an MBA. He loved sports. He worked as the sports director for a television station. And years into his career, in 1978, he had moved to Hartford, Connecticut to join a hockey team and become the communications director. But at the end of the season, he was fired. Here he was 20 years into his career, had a love of sports and broadcasting, but the industry didn't seem to love him back. I don't know if you can relate. But one night, Bill and his son were sitting around the house and Bill told Scott a few of his ideas. He wanted to use the new technology called cable TV to broadcast lesser-known sports in Connecticut. And as they spoke, the ideas started to flow, and soon both had decided it would be amazing to broadcast live sports, something only ABC, NBC, and CBS did at the time. 
But as they assessed their situation, they lacked three things. Money, content to put on TV, and access to cable television. Getting all three seemed almost impossible. You know, that's the way it goes with ideas. Most of us have ideas or dreams of what we'd love to do. And we make an assessment, and the impossibility of the thing takes over, and soon we place the idea on the shelf, hoping that someday we can dust it off, open it up, and dream a bit more. All of us, it's likely, have had this happen to us at one time or another. Perhaps we want to build a business, approach an unlikely customer, relocate to a beautiful place to live, write a book, get a degree, start a workout program, and the list goes on. Well, if this has ever happened to you, then let's look to Bill Rasmussen and see if we can learn a few things about dreams fulfilled. In 1978, many households had analog televisions. Analog TV was transmitted by broadcasting using high-frequency carrier waves. And to receive the transmission, a television required an antenna. And TVs of the day were limited to 12 channels. But for years, cable TV had been in development, and it was starting to gain a foothold throughout the country. And to overcome the problem with TVs only having 12 channels, cable TV providers gave customers a box that sat on top of their TV that when the customer set their TV channel to three, it would give access to dozens of cable channels. And as the cable network expanded, more and more households started to subscribe to cable. Well, Bill didn't give up on his idea. He thought if I could find a cable TV channel, I could go to the NCAA and ask for broadcast rights for sports and games, not broadcast or under contract with the big networks. And despite all the reasons to give up, Bill stuck with his idea, making calls, pressing the issue, looking for opportunities. Then one day he reached out to RCA. Three years earlier, RCA had launched a communication satellite to sell transponder time to cable television. But the number of buyers was significantly less and the competition stronger than they had anticipated, and they had excess cable time. So Bill worked with an RCA salesman, and they created a way for him to get 24-7 capability for $35,000 a month. Now, all Bill needed was money to pay for it and the content to broadcast. So we talked to the NCAA about broadcasting football games that the networks didn't broadcast. At first, they said no, doubting Bill's ability to do it. But Bill went after the funding. And even though he got one no, thank you, after another, finally, the VP of Getty Oil convinced his company to put in $10 million seed money for Bill. So he went back to the NCAA, secured the broadcast rights, and he was on his way. He named the network ESP-TV, which stands for Entertainment and Sports Programming. Bill secured advertisers, recruited executive talent, and started to gain broader viewership. Soon, 83% of all cable television subscribers tuned into his station, which he renamed ESPN. And ESPN then negotiated monthly subscription fees of over $6 per subscriber paid by cable television providers to ESPN. Well, today ESPN is owned by ABC and Disney, and it is the most watched and profitable sports network in the market today. Here's the point. Bill had no reason to think that he could do such a thing as give birth to the largest sports network in the world. He had no money, no sports content, or access to cable TV. 
But the sheer fact that he was willing to risk and work brought about the circumstances in which he found a way to bring out the best he had. Now, to find the best in us, we must risk. We must risk a bit of ourselves, our pride, our time, or effort. It's the risk that teaches us to value the outcome. As Erica Jung said, if you don't risk anything, you risk even more. In other words, the biggest risk is not taking any risk. Now, in writing a preface for a book's friend, T.S. Eliot said this, Only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. And that's true of you and me. It's in the risk of it that we learn to bring out the best in us. Now, I don't think risk needs to be some huge leap, but rather small things that we might not otherwise do or risk. Introduce yourself to a person you've been wanting to meet. Attend an event where you might find contacts. Step out of your normal course to see if you get a new view. Those are the types of things that we can risk easily. Next, consider the power of understanding your future value today. You have a future value. And even though it will be realized in the future, it's just as much yours today as it will be then. You know, Jim was born in Toronto and grew up in Scarborough, Ontario. His childhood was scarred. At times, his family struggled to make ends meet. They were even homeless for a while, living in a Volkswagen van, while Jim's father looked for employment. Finally, his dad found a bookkeeping job for the local tire factory in town. Well, Jim dropped out of school on his 16th birthday. You see, a year earlier, he had worked with his father to put together a stage comedy act. He had been obsessed with comedy and doing impressions. Well, his first try was at the Yuck Yucks Club, and it was a disaster. So Jim returned home to being a security guard with his brother at the tire factory. But he worked on his act and eventually faced his fears and went back to Yuck Yucks with a new act and a new attitude and started to do well on open mic nights. He tried out for NBC Saturday Night Live, but wasn't selected. Then he decided to move to Hollywood, and it was far from smooth sailing. He had little money, got little attention, and the acting roles he sought didn't materialize. You know, that's how it is with most things. Sometimes the best we have in us isn't fully evident, and you know, most things don't come easy or even quick. Well, Jim used to park on Mulholland Drive in Los Angeles at night and give himself a pep talk. And in this pep talk, he used to tell himself that directors loved him and that people he admired respected him and he was going to be famous. And he would leave each night feeling a little better and with the power he needed to charge forward the next day. I have roles, he would tell himself. They're out there. I just don't have a hold of them yet. You know, I think this is true. If you're building a business and you only have 20 customers, that's not entirely the case. You may have 100. You just haven't gotten hold of the other 80, but they are yours. At one point, Jim decided to write himself a check for $10 million for acting services rendered and post-dated it Thanksgiving 1995. He kept the check in his wallet. And over the next few years, he began to build his career in Hollywood and hone his comedic craft. Well, after getting noticed on a program that was broadcast nationwide in Canada, Jim got a main role on a sitcom being developed for NBC. And part of the promotion tour required that he do his act on The Tonight Show. 
Now on The Tonight Show, if Johnny Carson liked a comedian, he would wave the comedian over to sit with him for a few minutes. Well, that night, Carson didn't wave at Jim at all, and Jim left the way he came in with no real acknowledgement, and he went home and back to the grind. Soon the sitcom was also canceled by NBC, and with each project and each rejection, Jim would often pull out the check from his wallet and remember his worth. Well, about that time, Morgan Creek Productions were developing a comedy named Ace Ventura Pet Detective, and they approached Rick Moranis about playing the lead role. He declined. They approached two more actors who turned them down. They changed the lead role to a woman and asked Whippy Goldberg with the same result. Then a producer noticed Jim Carrey on the TV show Living Color, and he was eventually cast in Ace Ventura Pet Detective. His performance made the film, and Jim was cast in The Mask, and his career changed. Soon, movies like Dumb and Dumber, Batman, Liar, Liar, The Truman Show, Bruce Almighty, and other films would follow. And by the way, in 1994, a year before the date of Jim's post-dated check in his wallet, he earned $5 million for The Mask and $7 million to appear in Dumb and Dumber. In this digital age, we don't write many checks, but I wonder if there's a check you should write and post-date and place in your wallet or purse or pin on your bathroom mirror that represents your value, the worth of the best in you. If so, consider taking a few minutes to determine your true value. It may not be in dollars and cents, but it will be more than you think. Write it down and give your future a value you can work towards. Last, as you contemplate the best in you, remember there are forces working for you if you will do your part. I believe there are people in serendipitous moments waiting for you. You know, over the years, I've just seen faithful parents who, over the long run, have a positive impact on their children. And for whatever reason, children, even those who are adults, tend to come around when their parents lead the way. Remember, the future is waiting for you. In business, I believe it works the same. Sometimes the best in you takes time. And some of life's best miracles just take a little longer. As we end today, remember the woman who stood in the busy subway fixated on the talent of Joshua Bell. She could see the very best. Put on the lens that the best in you is coming. Write yourself a post-dated check, not of what you're worth today, not because you've earned it yet, but what you're worth in the future. And remember, there are forces working for your good. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.